0: Well, hey, everybody. Welcome to Gilbert Church. It's really great to have you with us today. I want to, before I dive in, let you know about last Sunday. We held our outdoor baptism service out at the University of Northwestern in St. Paul. It's out on Lake Johanna. It's really an incredible scene. There's thousands of people on the hillside. We're baptizing people in the lake. And just wanted you to know that last Sunday, we baptized 925 people. Isn't that incredible? (laughs) I came into work the next day and somebody had sent me this article and the title of the article was Millennials are leaving the church. And it was one of these doom and gloom articles that you see all the time these days. And it's about how everybody under the age of 35, they're all just leaving the church, walking away from their relationship with God. And I'm a a day removed from baptizing 925 people. And at least in my line, I'd say like a third of them were Millennials. They were almost all millennials under the age of 35. And there was a few of them that were, that were crying before I even had a chance to introduce myself. I mean, just in tears as they walked out into the water. And a couple of them emailed me afterwards to share a little bit about why they were so emotional. And I'm just struck once again about how God can change a person's life. And if you're here today and you're a millennial or you're not a millennial, you're, no matter what age you are, If you're feeling a little hopeless or lost, I just want to remind you once again of the new life and the fresh start that is found in a relationship with Jesus Christ. It's available to every single one of us today. And so for those 925 of you that were baptized last weekend, just know there's a few of us on staff who are praying for you, praying for God's protection in your life, praying that whatever needed to die in you would die and whatever needed to come alive would come alive in you. So proud of the 925 of you that were baptized last weekend. Hey, this weekend we are continuing on in our series called I Don't Get It, because no matter if you grew up attending church your whole life or if you just started attending last week, my guess is that there's some parts of Christianity where you go, I don't get it. Why do they do that? And I'm grateful that I get to speak these next couple of weeks because we're going to cover two topics that I have struggled with. Ever since I became a follower of Christ. Next week's message is, what happens when you die? Are we going to be sitting on a cloud playing a harp? Are we going to be worm food in the ground and just cease to exist? A lot of people are curious, what happens after you die? I can hardly wait to talk to you about that next week. This week's message is another big, I don't get it. It's the return of Christ. So many questions around this as well. In fact, for example, Are we living in the end times? Some people say that we are. In fact, you've no doubt probably heard that the Mayan calendar predicted that the world was going to end on December 21st, 2012. Well, When that date came and passed and the world was still going along just fine, the Mayans revised their prediction to January 20th, 2017. And I love this quote that I came across by a Mayan expert. He says this, The Mayans are quite sure they have it right this time. (laughs) They know they said that last time. But this time, it's definitely going to happen, he says. Rest assured, that was January 20th, 2017. Well, it didn't happen. And it's not just the Mayans who make these kinds of predictions. Just recently, a self-described group of hardcore Christians. These aren't just your average run-of-the-mill followers of Christ. These are hardcore Christians they predicted that the world is going to end August 21st, 2017. So you just got a few weeks to get yourself ready and prepared. Now, here's my proposition for you. I will bet anyone here $1,000 that the world is not going to end on August 21st. If I win, you pay me $1,000 on August 22nd. If you win... Well, then you win. That's just kind of how that all works out. I'm really hoping someone will take me up on this, uh, if that's possible. Now, many of us, we've heard all these predictions of when the world's going to end, but there's also a lot of predictions of how the world's going to end as well. I've heard things like an apocalyptic flood. I've heard people say that another planet is going to bump into the earth and destroy us. Some people say we're going to get seared by the sun. And there are even some who believe that aliens are going to overtake us. And that's how the world is going to be destroyed. I tend to agree with a small but very reputable group of scholars who believe that we are going to be destroyed by evolving cats that get thumbs. <laughs> I made that up, but that would be terrifying, wouldn't it? If cats got thumbs, I mean, that, that, they would take over the world for sure. Now, with all of these false rumors and predictions... It's easy to dismiss this idea altogether. And that's what a lot of people have done. They've said, you know what? Jesus isn't going to return. That's just science fiction kind of stuff. Whenever someone predicts it's going to happen, they're always wrong. Whenever they say it's going to happen, it's not happening. And they become calloused and cynical to the whole idea. But here's the truth. Just because there's false rumors doesn't mean that one day it won't happen. You know, as many of you know, I am a big Minnesota Timberwolves fan, and over the years in my messages, I've talked about Ricky Rubio, the point guard for the Minnesota Timberwolves. I was actually one of a few thousand fans that was down at the Minneapolis airport the day that Rubio flew into Minneapolis six years ago from Barcelona, Spain for the first time. I brought a film crew with me as I went down to the airport, and I'm going to show you that video again. It's a throwback, EBC classic video from six years ago. But this is gonna show you the depth of the relationship that I have with Ricky Rubio. Take a look. Well, hey, Eaglebrook, I'm in the car with Video Guy Jim, and uh, we are headed down to the Minneapolis airport. Ricky Rubio is set to arrive at 1230 from Barcelona, Spain, and I'm gonna be the first one there to welcome him to Minnesota, and uh, be the crazy fan that I am. Come along and let's see what happens. Yeah, that's a, we're close. Uh, that night, as WCCO was heading into their sports segment, they were previewing the story of Rubio coming to the Minneapolis airport, and one of my friends was able to snap this picture off of his TV. I don't think I've ever even looked at my wife like that. So as you can see, my man crush on Rubio has gotten way out of control over the years. And then just a few years ago, I started hearing these rumors that Rubio was going to get traded. The first I heard he was going to get traded to the New York Knicks. And then it was the Sacramento Kings. And then it was the Dallas Mavericks. But every time these predictions were made, they always turned out to be false. And so over time, I started to dismiss the whole idea. I said, Rubio's not going to get traded. I mean, come on. Every time they say it's going to happen, it doesn't happen. And I became cynical to the whole idea. And then on Friday, June 30th, 2017, I was just out in the backyard playing catch with my boys. And all of a sudden, my wife yelled out from the back window. She said, something's happening. She said, your phone is just blowing up. buzzing like every two seconds. And you would think that my wife would immediately be worried and think, you know, has a family member died or is there an emergency at the church? But she just knew. She added, I think the Timberwolves just did something. And just like that, the day of the Lord had come. (laughs) Rubio had been traded to the Utah Jazz for a future first round pick. And just so you know, I'm doing fine. My counselor actually thinks I'm doing great considering what I've been through these last couple of weeks. Now, here's my point. Just like there were some false rumors before Rubio did end up getting traded, Jesus says, you can expect some false rumors to come before I actually return. It's fascinating that Jesus pinpoints this. Matthew 24, he says, you will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you're not alarmed because such things must happen but the end is still to come. He says there's going to be rumors. There's going to be false predictions and misleading statements, but don't let that cause you to become cynical to the whole idea. Don't let that cause you to just dismiss this and go, well, Jesus isn't going to return. Whenever they say it's happening, it's not happening because just because there's false rumors doesn't mean that one day the day of the Lord won't come. In fact, Jesus goes on a few verses later, and he describes what this day is going to be like. He says, two men will be working together in the field. One will be taken, and the other will be left. Two women will be grinding at the flour mill. One will be taken, and the other will be left. In other words, your life's going to be going on as normal. One guy's going to be out in the backyard playing catch with his boys. One's going to be mowing the lawn. One woman's going to be yelling out the back window to her husband about something. Another one's going to be at the grocery store. Your life is going to be going on as normal, and that's when it's going to happen. So Jesus adds these words. He says, be prepared because you don't know what day your Lord is coming. One of my pet peeves is when Christians or churches try to predict when Jesus is going to return. It flies completely in the face of what Jesus himself says. Look at what he says just a few verses earlier. He said, no one knows the day or hour when these things will happen, not even the angels in heaven or the son himself. He's talking about himself, Jesus. He says, only the father knows. Here's the correct answer. Whenever someone asks you, when is Jesus going to return? You should say, I don't know. I don't know if the angels don't know if Jesus himself doesn't know, then none of us know only the father knows. But then notice that Jesus adds these two words. He says, be prepared, which is kind of strange, isn't it? If we don't know when Jesus is going to return, then how are we to be prepared? It's like when you're having company over to your house. If you know they're coming you prepared. You clean the house. You sweep and mop the floors. You shove things under the bed or in the closet, right? You, you prepare for this. But when company comes over to your house unexpectedly, well, they might catch you in your pajamas, no makeup on. There's clutter all over the house. You're not prepared. I wonder if that's how some people felt before Jesus came the first time. Unprepared. But they shouldn't have been because God gave them over 48 prophecies or predictions about how a savior would come to this earth. Let me just show you a few of these in, in uh, the year 725 B.C., God is speaking to a prophet, Micah, and he says to Micah, he says, the savior is going to be born in Bethlehem. Now, we've celebrated enough Christmases and sung enough Christmas carols to where we go, well, yeah. Everybody knows that Jesus was born in Bethlehem. But back in 725 BC, when that prediction or prophecy was given, that was a shocking claim. Bethlehem was kind of like Hugo or Ham Lake. It was a small, rural, hick kind of town. And whenever I've given that analogy in the past, by the way, I always get people from Hugo who email me, and they're very upset. And nobody from Ham Lake ever bothers to email and they just know, right? They just, yeah, that's true. And I'm from Ham Lake, so I love that. I appreciate that about you. But here's the point. Back then, nobody would have expected Bethlehem to be where the Savior would be born. Jerusalem, you bet. Rome, for sure. But not Bethlehem. Then in the year 500 BC, God was speaking to a prophet named Zechariah. And he says that this savior who's going to come, he's going to be betrayed for 30 pieces of silver. It was very specific. It wasn't 29. It wasn't 31. It wasn't gold. It was 30 pieces of silver, which he said would then be thrown into the temple. Now, who's it talking about here? Well, Judas Iscariot betrayed Jesus for exactly 30 pieces of silver. And then in a moment of guilt and regret, he threw it back into the temple Psalm 22 says that this savior will be pierced through his hands and through his feet. Now, it clearly seems to be speaking of a crucifixion, except for the fact that crucifixions hadn't been invented at the time that Psalm 22 was written. In other words, it's a prophecy about how the savior is going to die before that form of death was even invented. They did a mathematical study several years ago, and they asked the question, what would it take, what would be the odds of one person fulfilling just eight of these messianic prophecies, let alone all 48 of them, but just let's take eight. And they found that the odds of that happening in one person were one in 100 million billion. To put that into perspective for you, that would be like taking 100 million billion silver coins and covering the state of Texas with them two feet deep. Then, marking one of the coins with a red dot, you drop someone off randomly in the middle of Texas, and they happen to pull the red-marked coin first try. That's Jesus. Jesus fulfilled 48 of these predictions or prophecies. The odds of that happening in one person? One in a trillion to the 13th power. But here's what I want you to do with me for just a moment. I want you to imagine with me that you're living in the year 10 B.C. And you've heard all of these prophecies that God is going to send this Savior to the earth. And he's going to save his people. But the first time God even mentioned that was in the book of Genesis. And that was written 4,000 years before you lived. Because you're in the year 10 B.C. And the prophet Isaiah spoke about this 500 years ago. But now it's been 500 years and you're sitting around. You're going, it's not happening. This is Mrs. Science Fiction, fairy tale stuff. Whenever someone says he's going to come, he never actually comes. I wonder if that's how some people felt before Jesus came the first time. It's how a lot of people feel today before Jesus comes the second time. Even though there are five times as many prophecies or statements about Jesus second coming as there are about his first let me just show you a few of these in Matthew 24 Jesus says you need to pay attention to the signs and then he goes on to say what some of those signs might be he says before he returns there's going to be wars and rumors of wars there's going to be earthquakes and famines there's going to be false teachers there's going to be people who get up and they're they're a pastor or they're a spiritual leader and they're actually going to be leading people away from God. They're going to be casting doubt about who Jesus is and how reliable the Bible is. He says, just expect it. He says there's going to be some Christians who are arrested or persecuted for their faith, and there's going to be others who walk away from God because the cultural opposition will be so strong. Then in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1-4, through 4, it says this, In the last days... So this is what will be like in the last days. He says, people will only love themselves. We say that to people all the time. you got to love yourself. Well, in this day, they'll only love themselves and their money. They will be boastful and proud, scoffing at God, disobedient to their parents and ungrateful. They will consider nothing sacred and love pleasure more than God. Now, when I look at that list, I think it's possible that we're living close to the end. So here's what I want to do today. I want to take you to a chapter of the Bible that I believe speaks most clearly to how Jesus will return. It's found in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And I'll give you a little sneak peek. There's no floods. There's no meteorites. There's no aliens or Mayan calendar. But there are two distinct characteristics of Jesus' return. The first one is this. Jesus' return will be surprising. As I mentioned, we're going to look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Let's pick things up. It says this, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a commanding shout. So it says Jesus will appear. He'll be descending from heaven with a commanding shout. First, all the Christians who have died will rise up from their graves. Then, he says, together with them, we who are still alive and remain on earth will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air and remain with him forever. And then I get a kick out of how he adds these words. He says, so comfort and encourage each other with these words. And I remember reading that for the first time and thinking, wait, comfort and encourage each other with the ideas that dead bodies are going to be rising up out of the grave and we're going to be floating up in the air to meet Jesus. I mean, I've wondered, what about this is comforting and encouraging? Freaky, scary, motivation to become a doomsday prepper, maybe. But what is so comforting and encouraging? And if you're kind of brand new to this whole Jesus thing, you're kind of trying to figure out, well, what do I believe about Jesus? What do I believe about the Bible? You might be wondering the same thing. You might be going, you know, this just seems kind of science fiction to me. I mean, you're looking around going, we, we don't really believe this, do we? Like, this actually isn't going to happen, And I will admit to you that if I took you out for coffee, this is not where I would start. I would start with the evidence for the resurrection. But I actually have come to believe that these words are comforting and they are encouraging. And here's why. Jesus Christ is going to return one day. You can bank on it. And when he does, your loved ones will be resurrected from the dead. Now, you might say, well, wait a minute. I'm a little confused. Haven't my loved ones already been resurrected from the dead? You know, maybe you lost a grandma or a grandfather or someone in your life 10, 20 years ago. And now you're wondering, well, wait a minute. Are they in heaven? Or are they in the grave waiting for Jesus to return so they can rise up to meet him? And this is one of those areas where I think Christians can agree to disagree. And we can kind of just discuss this without having a division with each other. But I'm going to share with you what I think the Bible teaches, what I think Jesus teaches on this topic. When Jesus was hanging on the cross, he was crucified next to two criminals. And one of these criminals somehow believes that Jesus is the son of God. And so he says to them as they're hanging on the cross, he says, one day, don't forget me in your kingdom. And Jesus responds back to this man. He says, today not tomorrow, not in a thousand years. He says, today you will be with me in paradise. Now, I take that to mean what it says, that immediately after this criminal on the cross died, his soul was going to go be with God in heaven. But then how does that square up with what Paul's talking about, of bodies rising up out of the grave? Well, here's how I think those two things come together. That when a person dies their soul immediately goes to heaven to be with Jesus. That's how Jesus can say, today you will be with me in paradise. But our ultimate goal is not to be a spirit or a soul floating around. The Bible says that God is gonna return to this earth. Jesus will return. And when he does, he sets up a new heavens and a new earth. And when that happens, we receive our resurrected bodies. So when you die, your soul goes to heaven to immediately be with God. But then we receive our resurrected bodies when Jesus Christ returns to this earth. Now, could I be wrong about this? No. <laughs> no, ask my wife. I'm never wrong about anything like this. But no, of course I could be wrong. There are some Christians who say that we enter into a soul sleep, that we kind of are sleeping. We don't really realize how many years are past. But maybe a thousand years later, we come out of this soul sleep And now we are with God in the new heavens and new earth. I think that's possible, but I can't figure out why Jesus would then say, today you'll be with me in paradise. So I don't think it's probable based on what Jesus teaches. Other Christians will tell you that there's going to be a secret rapture. This is what the popular Left Behind book series was all about. In other words, you're going to be walking along one day and you're going to go, "Whoa! where did Johnny go? Where did Susie go? And their clothes might still be there, but they've disappeared. They were secretly raptured, and you got left behind. When my wife leaves the house in the morning, she generally does so in a chaotic world with our kids and things like that. And so one day I came home in the middle of the day to let this guy in who was putting some screens up in our house. And as we walked into our kitchen, I noticed that there was a piece of toast on the counter. And there was peanut butter spread over half of it. And the jar of peanut butter was sitting there with a knife sticking out. And there was bowls of cereal with the spoons and the milk still in them. And there was bread all over and boxes of cereal. And then piles of our kids' clothes were sitting on the floor of the kitchen. And so I turned to this guy and I go, oh no, we missed the rapture. (laughs) He didn't get it he just said, show me where the windows are. He didn't, he didn't care. <laughs> but I actually don't believe in a secret rapture like that. And the reason why I don't is because of the verse that we just read from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, where it says that when Jesus returns, he's going to do so with a commanding shout. Just a few verses later, it says that trumpets will be blasting. It doesn't sound very secret to me. So it won't be secret, but it will be surprising. Because look at what it says in the very next verse. He says, the day of the Lord will come unexpectedly, like a thief in the night. Now, don't raise any hands, but how many of us here have been robbed before? Did the thieves call ahead? Did they call you up and say, you know, we're going to be hitting your house in about 45 minutes, I'd say. And maybe there's another thief in the background going, no, tell them an hour. We're going to be a little longer. Tell them an hour. Probably not, right? Thieves tend to come unexpectedly. My wife had her wallet stolen one time. We we actually think maybe it fell out of her purse and we just didn't realize it. But the thieves went on a spending spree with her credit card. The first thing they purchased was they went to Taco Bell. I'm not kidding you. And I can just picture this. They're sitting around. They're like, hey, I'm starving. We got this credit card. What should we do? One guy's like, should we go to a fancy steakhouse? No. Let's run for the border. <laughs> Let's get a $5 cravings box and a Baja Blast Mountain Dew. Right. So that's how they spent the money. Then and the second purchase was they filled up their car with gas, which was very practical and, you know, economical. But then their third purchase was they made a donation to a nonprofit animal rescue agency. I can only imagine their conscience was just eating at them. Oh my God, what have we just done? We stole this credit card. We're going to hell. What should we do? And one of them's like, let's help puppies. That will cancel out our thievery. Everybody loves puppies. So they made a $2 donation. (laughs) Apparently that was their tip on the Taco Bell that they spent. And that's what they did. But here's my point. Thieves don't call ahead. They come unexpectedly. And that's how Jesus says it will be at the end. He says that his return will be unexpected some of us will be halfway through putting peanut butter on our toast. Some of us will be at work. Some of us will be on a walk. Some of us will be fixing dinner or pull through the drive through and that's when Jesus Christ is going to return in the fullness of his glory. And there will be no warning. You won't get a little notification from your Outlook calendar, ping, 15 minutes till Jesus returns. You won't get that. His return will be surprising. It's the first characteristic of his return. Here's the second characteristic. It says it will be the best or the worst day of your life. Second characteristic of Jesus' return, it's going to either be the best day of your life or the worst day of your life. First Thessalonians chapter five, verse three says, while some people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them. I heard a story recently about four sophomores at Duke University who were taking an organic chemistry class, and they had been doing really well all semester. And so when it got to finals week, they were a little bit like this guy right here. They're like, ah, there's peace and security. We're safe. Our grades are safe. We're doing good. We're fine. We, We don't need to worry too much about this. And so they took that finals week and they went off to another town and they partied. They partied so hard, they actually didn't get back in time for the final. Now, they had done well all semester, but they could not afford to get a zero on the final. So they went to this professor and they kind of concocted up a story. They said, you know, we were studying at the University of Virginia all week. And then on the way home, we happened to get a flat tire. Can we retake the test? And miraculously, the professor goes, yeah, sure. Come on in a few days and I'll let you retake it. So a few days later, they come in to retake the test, and the professor puts them in four separate rooms. One of them's in this room, one of them's in that room, four rooms, and so on. And he hands them the test, and it's only two questions. The first question was a simple chemistry equation they'd been working on all semester. It was worth five points, piece of cake. These four guys are like, this is going to be so easy. They flip over to page two. The second question was worth 95 out of 100 points. The second question was, which tire? (laughs) And just like that, sudden destruction. (laughs) Jesus says that's how it's going to be when he returns for some people. that There are going to be some people going through life going, I don't need religion. I don't need a savior. I don't need Jesus. I'm fine. My life is safe. It's secure. I'll just talk my way out of it. I'm I'm pretty good at that. You know, I I might have to stand before God and give an account of my life. But trust me, I'll be able to work my way out of that situation. Jesus says, if that's you, there could be sudden destruction. Hebrews 9.27 says this. It says, it's appointed for men to die once. But after this, the judgment. Some of us say, I don't, I don't want to hear much about God's judgment. I hear people say, you know, I believe God's a God of love, but I don't want to talk about God's judgment or think about that. And, and I get that. It's hard to imagine God judging our life or our loved ones. But true love doesn't exist apart from God's justice. And so the Bible says that you get one shot at this you're going to die, or Jesus is going to return. And when that happens, you're going to stand before God, and he is going to judge your life. And so I've got to ask you today, are you prepared for that moment? Some of you are. You've put your full faith and trust in Jesus Christ. You follow him. You believe in him. You trust him. You have nothing to worry about and fear. But there are others of you who would say, I'm not sure. I don't know if I'm ready for that day. I'm I'm hoping. I'm hoping I'm a good enough person. I'm hoping I've done enough good works to kind of cancel out some of the bad things that I've done. I I hope, but I'm not really sure. And the Bible says that for you, you could face judgment in that moment, but it doesn't have to be that way because God desires that none would perish. Second Peter chapter three. This is so good. It says the Lord isn't being slow about his promise to return. Some people are like, well, it's been 2000 years. Where is he? says he's not being slow, as some people think. No, he is being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to perish. So he's giving more time for everyone to repent. Here's my answer to those who would scoff and say, well, where is Jesus if he's going to return? Why hasn't he come yet? My answer is you. You are the reason he hasn't returned yet. He's being patient for your sake. He loves you so much that he has delayed the end of the entire universe because he loves you and doesn't want you to perish. That is a love that passes all human understanding. I'm telling you, you are not going to find a boyfriend or girlfriend who loves you like that. You're not going to find a child who loves you like that. The only way you will find that love is in a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And you can receive that love into your life today. And when you do, here's the promise. If you are a believer in Christ, the return of Christ will be the best day of your life. Better than the day you moved out of your parents' house. Better than the day you graduated college. Better than your wedding day, your honeymoon, or the day that your children were born. It is going to be the most wonderful, exhilarating day of your life. Revelation 21 describes that day. Revelation was a book in the Bible written by a guy named John. And he was a disciple of Jesus. He followed Jesus. He was with Jesus. And then at the end of John's life, he was given a vision of what heaven will be like. And he wrote down that vision. It's found in a book called Revelation. It's the last book in the New Testament. And this is in the second to last chapter. Here's what he says. He says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the old heaven and old earth had disappeared. He says, I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, look. The home of God is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. And then he adds, he, God, will remove all their sorrows. And there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. Friends, there are some of us here today who you are in an immense amount of physical pain. Just making it to church today was difficult. Just getting up in the morning or going to bed at night is a struggle. And I want you to hear today that there is coming a time, there is coming a day when you will have no more pain. I hope you're looking forward to that day. There are some of you here today who are in an immense amount of emotional pain. And you just went through a breakup You've had a relational falling out in your life, and you just cry. And you need to know that there is coming a day when God himself is going to walk up to you, and he's going to wipe those tears from your face, and you will never cry again. And I hope you're looking forward to that day, that you will see him face to face in a new heaven and a new earth. That is our ultimate destination. People will ask me, what do you think heaven's gonna be like? And I'll say, well, I think it's gonna be a lot like earth, except untainted by sin. There's gonna be waterfalls and watermelons. There's gonna be loved ones and laughter. You will never wake up having a bad day. You will not have depression anymore. You will never have anxiety again. You have nothing to worry about, nothing to fear. Nothing that you are anxious about and concerned about. You will not have any more pain or tears, suffering or death. You will just be filled with perfect joy. I hope you're looking forward to that day. And so we comfort and encourage each other with these words. That one day he's going to return for you. And when he does, he will set up a new heaven and a new earth, and you will get to live with him forever. He's gonna come back. Before we close today, I think it would be amiss if I didn't give you an opportunity to put your faith in Jesus Christ. That there are some of you here today who would say, you know what, I I'm not sure. I'm kind of like that person that you described earlier in Thessalonians where, you know, I'm just going, hey, there's peace and security for me. I'm, I'm fine. I don't know if I need a savior. And I want to give you a moment and warn you that there might be a judgment that's coming on your life. But if you will turn from your sins, you will acknowledge them to God. You will put your faith in Jesus Christ. Then what he did on the cross will take your punishment, take your judgment that you deserve upon Jesus. And you can have the assurance of eternal life one day. So I'm gonna lead us in a prayer at all of our campuses. And if you pray this prayer with me, I would really encourage you, after you pray the prayer, stop off at the Next Steps area at your campus or text the word BELIEVE. You can see it on the side screens here, BELIEVE to 555-888. And here's why we want you to do that. We just wanna give you some free resources. We don't want this just to be a prayer that you pray and then you're done and go, oh yeah, I did that once. We want this to be the start of a relationship with God. And so let me pray for you. Because there might be some of us here who walked into church not sure of where we stood with God and maybe facing judgment one day. And you're going to leave here today with a new assurance and hope of eternal life. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you that you love us so much that you desire no one to perish. And God, you love these people so much that you've delayed the return of your son, Jesus Christ, simply because you are waiting for them to repent. God, I pray right now that there are some who would do just that. That there would some who would say, you know what? I repent. I turn from my sin. I acknowledge it to you, God. And I put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And God, they're just going to pray along with me in the quietness of their mind. Lord, I confess right now that I am a sinner. I have sinned against you. But I believe in Jesus Christ. I believe that he died to pay the penalty for my sins and take my judgment upon himself. And so right now, God, I receive him into my life by faith. I receive forgiveness of sins and eternal life. And I want to walk with you from this day forward. God, there are others of us here who we trust you. We put our faith in you. We believe in you. But we may not be prepared for you to return. God, maybe there's a sin in our life that really you're calling us to get rid of so that we're prepared for that day when we stand before you. God, maybe we've just started to drift away from you a little bit, and this is a call to come back, to be prepared, and to know that one day you're gonna return. And God, there are others of us who are in such pain, physical, emotional, or otherwise. God, I pray that we would be comforted and encouraged by the fact that we know, we know that one day Jesus Christ will return for us. We thank you for that, God, and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, if you need prayer, come on down front. Otherwise, have a great day, everybody.